Hello, my fine friends. Thank you for choosing my podcast to listen to. We're powered by ACAS Plus. You can join uh, ACAS Plus if you want to get lots of bonuses. Google Rahalastapa and ACAS Plus and you'll get right there. There's lots of fun stuff to get. Um, Rahalastapa tour is nearly over. 21st of March, I'm at Bedford Corn Exchange. I'm talking to Olaf Falafel, who's a very funny children's author and stand-up comedian, and Al Murray, the pub landlord and historian man. And a friend of mine, uh, it should be fantastic, who went to Bedford, went to school in Bedford. It should be amazing. There's plenty of tickets left for that one. Uh, Glasgow on the 27th and Hull on the 28th. They're both sold out, but do keep checking the sites for returns. And uh, occasionally we put some comps back on sale, so there may be a chance to buy tickets. The main thing, though, is that I am going to be on tour doing stand-up, and I would love you to come. Uh, it's uh, from... It starts officially in May, but so uh, there's a few tryouts in April and March. So I'm at the Bill Murray. I'm at um, various places, Luton Hat Factory and uh, the Berry Hedge End. I don't even know where that is before going into a big tour where I'm going all over the place. It's selling in various degrees. Glasgow sold out. They've added an extra date. Uh, Chorley sold out, joined the waiting list. Uh, but a lot of the others have plenty of tickets. So... Do go and come to see that. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour for all those tour dates. RichardHerring.com slash Rahalastapa for the remaining Rahalastapa dates. And uh, yeah, and then I'm going to take a little break from doing Rahalastapas. It'll be nice. We've got loads in the bank. Uh, so I hope you're enjoying them. I think there's some very high quality ones from this tour. Uh, so do keep listening. Do keep telling your friends. RichardHerring.com for all your Richard Herring needs. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy another Rahalastapa. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Phoenix Pub. Please welcome a man who's probably best known for all the work he does helping Ukrainian refugees. It's Richard Herring! Hello! Hello, my fan friends! Thank you very much. Uh, welcome, thank you for coming along. Welcome to Richard Herring's London Says Tara podcast. It's the last Rahalastapur in, in London for... Uh, until September, back at the Leicester Square Theatre, September through November, most Mondays. Come along and see us. There'll be some amazing guests. I don't know who they are yet, but they're going to be great. Uh, though I was talking to Daffy, Jinx, Mr. Blue Nips, Flurg, Spunk Guzzler, Tony G, Simon Harris, Dorothy Perkins and Kenko, better known as the Blazing Squad. They, they, they were the Blazing Squad. Uh, they call it Rahalas to so I don't know if that's gonna. Don't know if that's gonna catch on. Uh, like the Ukraine thing. Uh, this week I was included in a tweet uh, from Lesaya Vasyelenko, who's a Ukrainian MP. Wasn't expect. She doesn't follow me on Twitter. I wasn't expecting her to tweet. Uh, include me in a tweet. Uh, she said, "Every nation that welcomes war displaced Ukrainians is making a contribution to preventing Russia's genocide of Ukrainian na- uh, Ukrainian national." Uh, grateful today to the UK for their new policy allowing unaccompanied children to seek refuge in the UK at Pretty Patel, at Michael Gove, at Herring 1967. I don't don't like to talk about 
the work I do for Ukrainian refugees. But um, but uh, what was my Twitter? I couldn't work out what my Twitter handle was doing. Lessia, perhaps unsurprisingly, doesn't follow me. And whilst I'm supportive of the people of Ukraine, I've not been working with the government to help unaccompanied children seek refuge here. I do work with the government, uh, but only on the most evil and despicable policies. So I'm disgusted to see myself associated with something that might be seen as doing good, as I'm sure Pretty and Michael are as well. Uh, I never really anticipated my, my name being mentioned in the same breath as Pretty Patel and Michael Gove, unless my plan for a Guy Fawkes-style atrocity ever came to fruition. So it's, I would tweet her back and ask her why I was included. I think she might have more important issues to deal with. But I'm racking my brain to think, you know, she must have tweeted me by accident. I'm trying to work out who she meant to tweet but I can't think of anyone in the government whose Twitter handle starts H-E-R-R. I don't think Herr Hitler has a Twitter, Twitter account. <laughs> he was involved with the Rwanda policy. I do know that. And that is, that's all I know. Bit of, bit of political satire there. I'm, I'm saying the Tories are like Nazis. It's good <laughs> Quite clever. Um, quite clever. Hey, this is just to you people in the room. Um, we're doing one more show here in London, which isn't a Rahalastapa. Thank you. Um, which is going to be uh, another uh, episode, live episode of Twitch of Fun, which is a show I do with, with puppets and my bollock uh, puppet. Uh, but I'm also going to be doing the first new stand-up uh, I've done for about four or five years, which is for my new podcast, Can I Have My Ball Back?, which will be out in the autumn <laughs> to go alongside a book of that name. So uh, if you want to come along to that, uh, either go and buy a ticket uh, from the links on my website. Uh, if you want to, after the show, I'll just be sitting up here and I can sell you tickets and take your name. And it's the 11th of July, if you can make it to this same venue i'd love to see you here i'm also going to be uh, selling copies of my books emergency questions would you rather and the problem with men uh, if you would like to buy one of those yeah the problem with men the problem is we're just too brilliant that's the problem <laughs> so, it's a, you'll find out it's tell, it gives you the answer of when international men's day is but i'm not going to tell you you have to buy have to buy a book to find out uh, so i'll just be sitting up here if you want to come and say hello that you can um, but uh, i'm i want to go home as well so don't I don't mind if you don't come up. Uh, right. My, <laughs> I don't mind if you don't come up, but, you know, come up if you want. Right. My guest uh, this week is probably best known for her appearance on Big Brother's Bit on the Side. Actually true for this. <laughs> Actually true. We <laughs> please welcome the amazing Meryl O'Rourke, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, darling. Come in. Sit, sit down. Oh, you can turn your back on. Oh, Oh, I find it hard to get up on these... Uh, these stools are horrible. I find it very difficult. I, I actually can't. Yeah, I mean, good. Do you wanna, I've, I've got on mine now and I'm not getting off. There we go. Oh, gee. And now I'm spinning. On? See, well, yeah, the podcast people won't understand, but... It's fine. Is, yeah, it's, it's like being in... I feel like I'm in stirrups. <laughs> I would like to cross my legs in a ladylike way, but I will fall off the stool. <laughs> good. going to get full well. split beaver in the front row. So there we go. <laughs> it's the only way I can stay on the stool. That's why Andy McH is here. That's what he's after. There we go. What I did actually... Loves. I split my trousers... Just, just leaving the house. Did you? And and it was like, oh god, I don't have time to change. But we were like, well, I'm going to be sitting down. Nobody will see it. I didn't realise <laughs> I was going to be splayed for you. Yeah. So I, I do apologise. No, nothing to apologise for. Tell us all about Big, Big Brother's bit on the side. Well, I was thinking, like, how difficult is it going to be for Richard to find the most <laughs> obscure credit for possibly the most obscure guest you've had? Like, like even if he put my best-known, most recent credit, nobody would know what the fuck it was either. <laughs> so uh, it was... Uh, well, yes, I actually really liked Big Brother, yeah. which meant that I couldn't be a guest for ages because the, the producers would look down on me for actually enjoying the show. Right. And, uh, and I knew the producer of, of, of the sidekick show, like all the way when it was on Channel 4, and we'd go and have dinner and stuff, and he just kept saying to me, Meryl, you're not famous. And I was like, okay. And then it got moved to Channel 5, and the minute it got moved to Channel 5, he phoned me and said, you're famous enough for Channel 5. <laughs> that was literally how I got on. This just worked the way through the phone book for Channel 5. They'd finally got to the O's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good. Who was, who was... I didn't even watch the channel. Was, was it celebrity or was it... Um, no, it was Real Big Brother. Right. And there was a guy called... I don't even... I don't even remember. I remember there were twins. There were some uh, overweight twins who were very opinionated and kept telling everybody, oh, you seem really moody today. You seem really happy today. And I said, it must be like living with your ovaries. 
So that's one of the only jokes I remember. Um, and there was... A, no, there was a celebrity... I did two series. There was a celebrity one as well, because there was some Essex guy on there who who was being quite romantic. And I remember saying, um, he kept saying he wanted to take a woman away for a romantic weekend. And I said, I think his idea of a romantic weekend would be anal sex and centre parks. <laughs> um, and then I didn't even realise, apparently that centre parks is a euphemism for anal sex. So, so we just wrote that joke going, oh, this sounds pretty tacky. But there's a whole mum's net thread that apparently if your husband says to you, I want to take you up centre parks, he means anal. <laughs> I mean, is yes. it in the, is it in the centre? I don't know. Is the well, anus in the centre? I would I'd say the, I'd, I'd say that's vaginal sex. Um, but the centre. Well, I mean, technically, I would say in the centre. I would say is perineal. Yeah, maybe. But I don't or belly know how button, much. Or belly button, maybe. maybe. I, I don't know what is halfway down. Um, <laughs> well, the per- isn't the perineum just by dint of what it is? Like, isn't that its, well, whole, it's, its whole point is to be in the middle? It's definitely it? the centre of the, like the, the, the genitals and the anus, but I'm talking about the centre of the whole human body. And I think that, oh. might, be, that might be the uh, belly button. Isn't that the I'm soul? prepared to try all orifices <laughs> to find, until we hit the right one. <laughs> it feels... You've not even been married that long, have you? Not even. I've been married for 23 years, so we're probably going to venture into another orifice at some point. Yeah. I've been just, married just for 10 years, 10 years, but that's in Richard Herring years, which are like <laughs> seven. So I've been married for 70 years, I would say, for my... For my for me. Uh, look, Meryl, you are... I mean, people might not know who you are, but you are a fantastic stand-up comedian. Who's well, with... I know... See, I feel all good, because I know I'm not meant to talk about... So basically, there has been no other podcast recorded tonight. I know I'm the only <laughs> podcast being recorded tonight. But there is something about being in an audience who I like to kid myself had come for me. But you are all wearing T-shirts <laughs> with the other guest who wasn't filmed tonight, uh, recorded tonight. And, and, it's, it's like, and because I was here, I know why you're all wearing T-shirts saying cunt. If, if I, I hadn't mean, been here, be. I could have fooled myself that they were just my demographic. Uh, I mean, that'd be, it'd be quite bad if they were, people come to see you and wearing T-shirts saying cunt. I mean, that would be, that would be quite a, a, a difficult audience to get round. I don't know. I think or that is it? my demographic. Yeah, maybe. But it is a bit like, I do have some fans, but none of them are fucking here. Even the man who <laughs> tweeted you and said it would be my dream for you to get Meryl O'Rourke on yeah. a holistic yeah. isn't fucking here. I mean, they're not, not my here. fans because they're not shouting out Rahul Estepa. He did in the front. These, these them, those five of mine, they, 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 they were okay. always coming. They were always coming. Um, so. But I, because I first met you and the, <laughs> when you, you would come to Lee and Herring shows, there was a little g- gaggle. I was just talking about this with um, Margaret Caborn-Smith, actually, about she was saying when you were, you know, when you, she, she, she has a podcast about... Um, crushes on people and stuff like that and she was asking you you were you know, she was claiming that me and Stu were on you know we were we were like a boy band and that we had if lots you're of you're going to ask me if I had a crush on you this no is I'm be, not going to ask get you very that. awkward I was saying to the people who the people who followed us around were generally kind of quite clever quite sort of slightly damaged people who we were quite avuncular to because <laughs> They would come around and they, you, you'd followed us around a little. We, we came, you came to gigs a little bit. I followed you around a little. Yeah. And was I with my mum or not? I can't remember I if you were before my mum died. I think she it was, was before your mum died, yes. She was a Lee and Herring fan. Yeah. I was, I will confess, more of a Stuart Lee fan. Yes. And I'm sorry about that, but if you will hang around with Stuart Lee, like, you know, it's, it's like fish and chips. Like, people aren't really there for the fish, to be honest. You were the fish to Stuart Lee's chips. Uh, but, oh, no, that's, you know, but these are your fans. They're yeah. very into battered slime. But, um... <laughs> No, we, we would go and see as much comedy as possible, and yeah. I did. And then uh, the first time I remember properly speaking to you was I was doing um, an open spot in the middle of a Lee and Herring gig right. to audition for an Avalon New Act competition. Oh, yes. And either nobody turned up, or there was, I think there'd been a small incident in the student union and they had to cancel the gig. Right. <laughs> so you, um, you, you just told them that I was good anyway, and I got into the heat. Uh, and then after that... So there's always been this weird thing with you and me because I would come to Club Zarathustra to sort of hang out with you guys. So I got into the gang, but I was never quite in the gang. I always was a crossover of fan and friend. Yeah. And, yeah. So so I never quite knew what I was, apart from the fact that I wasn't 
properly welcome. <laughs> I wasn't properly welcome, but I was welcome. And I'm not sure if... I mean, somebody must have told me where they were having an Indian meal every week. <laughs> so I did used to turn up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, and, and you didn't like me, so this feels a bit weird as well. <laughs> so I have spent... I think I've spent more of the 25 years of us knowing each other with feeling like you didn't like me. Oh, so, no, I don't mean it in a bad... We say, oh, I wasn't oh, really was that upset true. about it, to be honest. Okay. Um, I just, I mean, I didn't... Stuart Lee liked me. I didn't need him. I didn't. Um, <laughs> I did not like you. I don't think I had strong feelings either no, way. No, I think I was relatively <laughs> irrelevant. I was kind of... I mean, you know, this is what a shallow person I am. I, I was quite good friends with Peter Bainham at the time. So what we'd do is a big gang of us, you were filming, was it Fist of Fun? Yeah, it probably would be. Right. So a big gang of us used to go and watch the filming every week and then we'd all go out for an Indian at the end. And uh, Peter liked me. And also, I was generally popular in my 20s because I drove everywhere. So uh, nobody would speak to me all evening. And then at the end of the d- evening, someone would go, oh, are you, are you driving? <laughs> You're my best friend. Um, so I remember driving Pete. The only time I went to your house that I remember is I was driving Peter Bainham home, who was living with you at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was not very happy. He was going through a bit of a bad phase. And because you would bully him in the show, sometimes he got a little bit, I'm not sure where the show finishes and us being in the kitchen. I remember going to your house and there'd been a big party in the kitchen with you. But I was in Peter Bainham's bedroom listening to him be really upset about stuff. And um, the next day, there was all, all this kind of like, oh, Meryl went to Richard's house, and I think he'd just been through a break. Oh, Meryl went to Richard's house, and he's just been through a breakup. Was really inappropriate. I'd literally just sat in Peter Bainham's bedroom, <laughs> listening to him complaining about the rising damp that Richard would do nothing about. <laughs> it wasn't um, my, it was, it was a both of our shared well, flats. I don't, I don't remember, but, but this is how shallow I am, is that um, Peter doesn't speak to me on Twitter, and you do, so okay. fuck him. <laughs> you know who lived upstairs who's yeah. someone who's given a quote for your show Terry Johnson lived in the flat above us the oh, playwright wow. Terry Johnson So we, and his washing machine flooded one time and, and, soaked and flooded our flat okay I'm, yeah. s- I'm sorry on behalf of Terry yeah it's terrible I'll let him know next time but I'm that's quite there. that's sort of quite uh, I mean it's quite it's just coincidental and it was just a fairly regular we were renting I think he bought upstairs Okay. Um, but it wasn't like a very sumptuous area. It was just a regular sort of Victorian terrace. Right. So it's quite unusual to get three writers living in this. I mean, two of them have gone on to be extremely successful. <laughs> <laughs> Terry was pretty successful at the time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one of them's writing big movies. Yeah. I won't let you know which one it is. Out of, the, out of Peter Bain and Richard Herring. Um, oh, you know, I'm sorry if he was felt like he was being... I love Pete, and I still do. He's a oh, nice well, boy. I'm sorry if I've made it awkward. It, no, it doesn't matter, I don't care. He said I he thought was making de- it awkward he, might be funny, but it's not, it's just awkward. He said he was delighted that my granddad had died, so, you know, he, he, yeah. <laughs> he deserves everything he gets. And he also called Frankenstein's monster Frankenstein in the Hotel Transylvania films, which oh, I think is unforgivable, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> It's the point of the book. The point of the book is that he doesn't have a name and therefore is non-existent in the eyes of God. That's actually what meant, is meant to be frightening yeah. about Frankenstein. It's actually the most frightening thing is meant to be that the monster doesn't have a name and therefore won't go to heaven. Do you think that's the case for Hotel Transylvania so much? <laughs> <laughs> and to a lesser extent, Hotel Transylvania 2. She also the, wrote... The, 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 Oh, God, I can't remember their names because I was going to say that the source material for... You know, there's a bunch of dolls that are all Frankenstein. See, this is... Yeah. Okay, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, but, you, but reading about you, well, there isn't a lot about you online, so I'm going to have to no. fill in the details. But you did a, a show in which you talked about... Um, you were sort of... You, you, as a teenager, you, you, and you still talk to lots of celebrities on Twitter, and you, you followed yes. quite a lot of celebrities around as a teenager i did yeah i wrote a show about my mum taking me stalking yes um which mainly stemmed out of a therapy session where i was talking to my therapist about how guilty i felt that in my that when i was about 16 i would drive to celebrities houses and sit outside them and she pointed out to me that i probably wouldn't have been driving when i was 16 and i then realized that my mother used to take me (laughs) driving to sit outside Relatively might, like, we were very into Radio 4 comedy, so, like, people who contributed to Spitting Image, I would be sitting outside their houses, staring at their bins. And um, I think my mum thought it was a kind of a, like, Houses of the Rich and Famous, like in Los Angeles, when you go around a limo. But I was just sitting outside, you know, somebody who'd been in one episode of The Young Ones. <laughs> and we would take 
like sandwiches and get a nice coffee from a cafe. So it's like sightseeing, but with an underlying feeling of, of illegal menace. Yeah. Because like, well, I remember like passing like Robbie Williams' house uh, in uh, would have been sort of Notting Hill, and, and there'd be people outside what? and there'd be graffiti. Were you on your own? Or was it just you and your mum or were there other people there? It's allowed when it's a pop star. Yeah. Like, people are one direction. They're all like, oh, we've got loads of fans and my mum will bring... It's allowed it's a pop star, but when you do it outside the house of somebody with a Radio 4 series, it's weird, <laughs> apparently. It's odd. So, no, it was just us. And, uh, and it is an odd thing to do. Like, I didn't realise that it would be frightening for those people because my mum just took me uh, and she had normalized it but it is a bit like it's, it's a bit like going on safari it's like you know i love zebras so i'm gonna hunt them down and terrify them in their natural habitat so uh yeah it's something i feel a bit awkward about did you ever feel stalked by me no i don't think but you know i don't i don't think so yeah i didn't realize you were sitting in pete bainham's uh, bedroom <laughs> noting down everything that was happening uh but uh no, but you know, there was there was sort of it was interesting. The kind of people who we attracted to, with Liam Herring were kind of there was a lot. I just remember the people who hung around were there was a lot of people with it felt like a vulnerability there, which I didn't mind at all. It was it was just sort of it was not what it was not what people might have expected from <laughs> the showbiz lifestyle. But I was equally, you know, I was quite a I was quite an isolated, lonely. Uh, figure through those through that decade anyway so I, I did I know I felt I was spending a lot of time at home I'd probably quite liked you to be hanging around outside my house you could have come in and had a cup oh, of tea sorry. and I would have been on my own I'll do it now if you okay, want that's fine. give me your address it's I'm I'm kind of a sort of, you can come and babysit <laughs> me and my wife can go out that would be good <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe I don't want I don't you to be with my kids like, <laughs> <on yours. laughs> maybe not as a person with a very deep voice I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. You seem very friendly with Robin Asquith from the uh, Confessions. Well, yeah, film. I mean that's the thing. There's this weird crossover yeah. with me where I would be very, very fangirly with somebody, and then Twitter was invented, and there are a lot of people I thought would actually be quite frightened of me who've actually been, oh, you're that girl that always turned up. I was always there with my mum as well, so people sort of remembered me a bit weirdly. Most weren't scared, no. and and one odd thing about me and Richard were just saying that um, I still look roughly the same as I did when I was twenty. I don't know what's happened there. <laughs> um, it's a bit odd, but. 
what the downside of that is that I will go to celebrity parties with people who I now work with, and there'll be. I remember Stephen Fry at the Sony Awards. I went over to say hello to him, and he went, oh, "What are you doing here?" Like, <laughs> he remember being me being that crazy girl with uh, my mum. Robin Asquith. My mother was very into the Confessions films, <laughs> and she was a very sex positive feminist in the seventies. So she she would show me the Confessions films like when I was ten, um, which is incredibly inappropriate. Um, and then we would go and see Robin Asquith and things, and she would go, here's my child, and he would feel really awkward. Um, and I remember giving him uh, laryngitis once. Not, not through anything, like, not, nothing uterine-ish, I was just talking to him. Um, but my, my, well, my favourite Robin Asquith thing was that, because I really love the Confessions films, and sometimes he tweets me because I see them from a feminist perspective of all the women in them have a lot of sexual agency. He's always the one that's, that's being seduced rather than seducing, and he quite likes that I've forgiven him for his whole career. Um, and I was interviewing him for the radio once, and we started talking about tattoos, and I sh- I've got a tattoo on my hip, and I tried to undo my skirt... Um, to show him it and he pretended to fall on me while I was undoing my skirt and was saying blimey blimey and it was the best moment of my life <laughs> it was literally I was in heaven so yes I love Robin but you know the people who like Lee and Herring and followed us around like one of them and wrote to us all we got loads of people who wrote to us mm-hmm. and it was quite, it's, and it was this you know it was I mean we were only a little I mean I'm only a little tiny bit older than you but there were like yeah. there were there were people um uh, like teenagers, you know, 40, 50 years, but like people who'd write to us every week. and that, But they've turned out to be really interesting people. A lot of them, one of, one of them is my wife's best friend who was, was a comedian oh, and is now an awkward. author. But she's, you know, we, we wrote to her because we felt, we get these quite intense letters from her, but we obviously, our show meant something to her and she was obviously yeah. bright, but she was obviously having some trouble. But, you know, it, it helped her through and and she turned out to be a really interesting really funny person so i think that happened to us quite a lot there were there weren't that many fans of us i think you get inducted quite a lot so my mum took me to a lot of comedy from when i was even like when i was a child i would go to see sooty and sweep and i count that absolutely you know that they were just a, a small cloth more common wise yeah Sooty and sweep I, I was you know i was a comedy fan and i think comedy probably more than the music attracts people who are sort of interested in I think it's a, it's not it's not as sexy as following a band. It's not as sexy as following Robbie Williams. Probably people who are following Robbie Williams are hoping to have sex with him. I think most people. Most Stuart people, Lee was quite sexy. Yeah, in his day. yeah, yeah. yeah. In, his, in his day, I, I was hoping to have sex with Stuart yeah. Lee. Any, I even any bought lo- that first gig we did together. I had a comic with me simply because I thought Stuart Lee would find that attractive. <laughs> so I sat backstage pretending to be into a com- pretending to read a comic. Yeah. Um, no, he, no, he didn't. He helped, sure? me, he helped me write my mother... Yeah, well, I was alone with him. My mum died, and he helped me write her eulogy. And I was alone with him at a point and where I was what a very time much... to try and get off with it. So <laughs> a young woman. What a time. What a moment to choose. He wow. did. I would have been very open to it. I was vulnerable <laughs> and alone. But no. He played hard to get, a bastard. Yeah. Yeah, it was... You know, he, he was quite nice back then. Uh, so... <laughs> In those in those days, uh, but look, I, what, your latest uh, stand-up show—I didn't see your previous show where, where you did uh, talk about this, which was called. You can remind me what it was called. Bad it was mother. Bad mother. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, vanilla. It which, was about stalking Radio Four celebrities and escaping the Holocaust. Yeah. So it's quite a. a, a it's quite a, quite broad show. Yeah. So I mean, that's but you know that puts some context into your mother. Well, that was why it happened, because people would say to me, why have you written a show about the Holocaust? That's a bit needy. And it was actually that I was writing stuff about my mum being weird, and I didn't like it. The audience would go, oh, my God, your mum's so weird. Like, your mum's just so mental. Oh, my God, you must have hated your mum. And I thought, well, actually, she was weird because she escaped the Holocaust. Um, And so I put that in. Her first memory was being dangled out of a window over a bonfire at the age of four by, by Nazis. I um, don't know if I had to add that. I don't know how familiar you are with the Holocaust. Um, but yeah, so that meant that she she was inappropriate and, and she drove me everywhere and she was fascinated with uh, film and, 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 and entertainment because it took her out of herself. Yeah. Yeah, so th- th- I think, you know, that's, that's, that explains a lot. The 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 low, the 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 latest show which you've rec- well it's, you've recorded quite recently yeah it's so on next up next up called Vanilla mm-hmm. uh, and it's you know again you can get, next up's a, a, a very interesting um, platform in which they are they're kind of giving a, a platform for a lot of 
newer, well, not necessarily newer, but not not necessarily the big name comedians. But, but that like, was what was really nice for me. Yeah. Is that is like I'm 51 and I've just recorded my first special. Yeah, and it was really nice that their door was still open to some old hag that's still still trying, <laughs> still still clawing at the door at this late stage. But yeah, but the, you know, I think it's it's sort of refreshing. I mean, there are plenty of middle aged comedians, but there are maybe there aren't quite so many middle aged female comedians, and it is quite refreshing to see. That's at least there's a lot of men, I think, I who, think are, who have carried, kept on going on the circuit. Yeah, uh, and there aren't there either like female comedians either weren't there years ago, which you were you were mm-hmm. amongst the first, I guess, of the of the new. Of, of the of the alternative comedians. Not... Well, no, we weren't like first was Hattie Hayridge and Jenny Eclair yeah. and things like that, and the people Second I would wave. go and see. Well, our, our generation, which was kind of, I, I'm sort of gulping at saying the Spice Girls generation because <laughs> we were too old, but but they very much heralded a time where women could wear very tight clothes and be very sexual and be very laddie. And so our generation, somebody pointed out to me once when I was having one of my bitter rants on Twitter about how I never fucking made it, that actually none of the women of my generation made it. So, so there are a lot of us around, Karen yeah. Bailey, Susan Murray, uh, Jojo Sutherland, yeah, Sally Ann Hayward, all people that have never made it onto television or Radio 4. But we were very open and upfront, and I don't think the circuit was quite ready for women to be like that. Well, the, I, found, I, found, but I, thought, I found the 90s wasn't, it wasn't my cup of tea, and it felt a very male, it, it's, despite being sort of right on in the 80s, being right on, the 90s felt very much like a lot of men being quite, being quite alpha, I think, quite a lot of alpha males. So I didn't really feel I fitted into the, the circuit. Yeah. Uh, and, a, a and, and, and I felt like well. I fitted more into the circuit that of 2005 onwards, you know, partly because I think a few people have been influenced by the TV shows we did. And so, yeah. you know, it, it kind of felt like it was more that, but it was a bit more welcoming to, to women. But what's interesting now, yeah. though, because now that the younger ones are coming up, there's this big movement now. So the very, the very modern, very political young female comics think that talking very openly about sex is, is a very politically forward thing to do, which yeah. I always did. But when I was younger, talking very openly about sex, we'd be like, oh, God, this isn't very tasteful. You'll never get into Edinburgh. So I do now hang around with the younger, the kind of Joe McNally's and the Olga Cox, and, and, and I'm almost seen as sort of an elder slut. <laughs> <laughs> so, so even though Vanilla has been written by a woman in her early 50s, it actually fits very well with the oeuvre of, of modern yeah. Uh, female comedy who are talking about well hang on a minute we want to be very sexual but society's still not quite ready for that yet but also all the people you mentioned from your generation have worked for 20 or 30 years of stand-ups oh, and, yeah. are, and are all absolutely fantastic stand-ups and that's what's kind of noticeable you know to see someone you know it's weird it's not your first special but it's your first film special it's not your first mm-hmm. one but one person show but it's your first film one and it's you know and it's it's really great, and you kind of go, "Oh my goodness!" There's, you know, there, there's somebody who most people won't know doing this interesting show that's very accomplished. Apart from a bit where a light falls, uh, what is it? A projector, <laughs> projector falls, falls, falls into on. the audience, almost decapitating <laughs> the man at the front. That's uh, the only bit that doesn't seem very professional, but it's pretty good. Yeah, uh, you should do. You should keep that in. <laughs> okay, we'll try. The guy who nearly gets decapitated as well, he comes to a lot of my gigs apart from this fucking one. Um, and apparently a light had fallen on him at another one of my gigs as well, really? so he is taking it very personally. But yeah, I do think of it as a feminist show, but we didn't purposely murder a man. <laughs> like, like, oh, it's a proper feminist show, the bloodied corpse of men strewn across the stage. <laughs> but, you know, you've got the, all those years. I mean, you've been, you've been working with Frankie Boyle, for example, for a long. You've been writing as a program associates on a lot of things that <laughs> he actually well that are 13 odd years yeah on and off um and actually the, the program associate thing is a little in joke because a lot of shows don't credit writers as writers uh in in britain in america they're fine everyone knows everyone's got writers here they're a bit shy of it but frankie is actually very keen to have the word writer and new world order is one of the only shows where we are billed as writers yeah and we don't have to kind of hide it and be secretive about it so, yeah, that, that's been a really great relationship. I'm, I'm pretty much Frankie's bitch, really. He sort of owns me. Yeah, but you were with him a lot. I but pretty that's much a... make all my money from Frankie. I am an absolute <laughs> Frankie succubus. Yeah, but that's I a real vote of confidence in your, obviously, in your gag writing. Because, you know, Frankie's very, you know, I think a, a comedian that I, don't, I haven't always got on with him. I, well, I've always yeah, got on I, with him, but he doesn't like me. But, uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I think Oh, God, he's... this is going to be like being between two divorcing <laughs> parents, but, isn't yeah. it? I just I still like I don't care but I, I like him and I think he's a great comedian anyway, but but you know if he's if he's if he's taking your gags then that's a, a real vote of confidence because he's also very 
you know, he, he wouldn't do crap jokes, you know. Yeah, that, yeah. That I think, like, sometimes you have a writer, you have a, you have a comedian with writers and you kind of go, oh, they're kind of, the ha- those guys will give you a lot of hack lines that they probably wouldn't do themselves or that they, they've just... But with you, it's I think it's a real vote of confidence for your... Yes, and I have to remind myself of that sometimes. Yeah. I have to say, you know, you write for this top comedian. He's kept you on for 13 years. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that's one of the amazing things about him actually crediting me as writer because, like, my IMDB used to have about two credits because when you're a program associate and stuff, you're, not allow- you're actually not allowed to put it. Um, and one day, a few years ago, I, I, I wrote him a, a very long letter kind of saying, it'd be really nice for me if I actually had some credits and people knew I'd done something with my life. And he was always fine with it. His agent was a bit off with it, his old agent. Um, and now, just the fact that I'm able to say I have been writing with Frankie Boyle for 13 years has completely changed my outlook on me and my career. Mm-hmm. So a few years ago, I saw myself as an utter failure. And now I see myself as having accomplished something, even if it's not getting any of my fucking fans in this audience. <laughs> so I, I'm, 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 I'm on some kind of treadmill going towards some kind of respect. Yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of... What I like with this, this show is, you know, the variety of comedians we can get on and you can get big names on and you can get people who people might not have heard of who are good. But, you know, they're... It's there's a lot of people in the same position right, that that have that yes. have worked the circuit for decades, but who are fantastic, have got like fantastic at the job, and you know it's you've got to you as a comedy fan have to have to kind of find them yourself either by yeah. getting out there. There's a big know. circuit out there, and there, there's loads of incredibly funny comedians who who haven't been picked up by the telly for whatever reason. Yeah, and um, it was quite interesting during lockdown, like people saying, you know, oh, comedians not being funded because comedians are all very left wing, and and that's why the government aren't giving them uh, furlough and stuff. But actually, the actual circuit is very centrist because we go all around the country. We have to entertain. Like, there's there's a bit in. August where um, I've got a weekend where one day I'm at a really hippie hippie festival and then the next day I'm in a holiday camp like in Leeds and I have to entertain both crowds so you can't be too extreme because you just can't bond with every crowd that you meet yeah so how was lockdown for you though because like for again everyone on the stand-up circuit it was like you had work booked in and then it just stopped and then you had to cope for like six months or so at least without any gigs? I loved it, but right. that's because um, because of being on the circuit, I spend most weekends on the motorway yeah. and I actually got to get to know my children. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is what it's like. It was quite odd actually because I, I would have these weird feelings of just being completely unwanted and, and the family weren't appreciating me enough. And then I realised that I was used to every weekend for the past 20 years, hundreds of people would clap for me whenever I walked on stage. And suddenly I'd walk into a room and my family wouldn't even look up from Rummy Cub. <laughs> and so I said this to them, I said, this is really odd for me. So then they got into a habit of applauding when I came into the room, <laughs> just so mummy wouldn't start cutting herself. Uh, <laughs> So, so, so I, I liked being with the kids, um, and and I was, you know, I, I was lucky enough financially, as I've said, you know, my mum's dead, so I've got a house, um, <laughs> and that was, you know, it's it's what kept us going really, the yeah. fact that we didn't have rent, and I did a lot of stuff online. I did, um, yeah. I didn't do content as such. I, I find it very difficult to produce content because what I usually do on stage, I do quite a lot of crowd work, um, so I was doing online gigs. Um, and actually, the only content that did go a bit viral was when I got angry with the traffic outside my house and I started shouting at cars. And I suddenly realised, oh, my God, this is my equivalent to crowd work. This is literally, I was doing heckle put-downs to cars going out past the house. So, yeah, I think that was the MC in me, just desperate to MC something, so I MC'd the traffic. Yeah, good. And I like, I like the fact that, again, you know, maybe it's... I don't know, there's, it, it, you know, you are, you've been married for, for like, t- over 20 years. 23 years. 23 years, and, and you've got two kids of, of you know, one's nearly grown I, I up. I acquired and, a 16-year-old this yeah. weekend, which has been very interesting. Yeah, that's on top of your other kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's only five uh, pounds a week. Yeah, they do, they get older, don't they? So, yeah, yeah. so it's weird. Uh, they should just stay the same age, it would be much easier. But, so, you know, but you talk about your family, and you're very open and honest about your family, and, you know, it's it's... You know, and and the and the difference. I suppose vanilla is is partly about that. The difference between the time you were single, which is basically the nineteen nineties, when I had most of my sex, which was now the last century, (laughs) and how and how the world is now. You know, but not just for you, but for the way dating's changed. Yeah, because I don't I don't count as a slut anymore. Like I was I was considered (laughs) a slut in my twenties, and now my daughter calls me repressed, and it's quite confusing because. 
nothing I did has changed. So everything I did is still there, but it just doesn't count as slutty anymore. You know, I, I, I was a slut one person at a time in private using only my vagina, which, you know, that's just a boring weekend for a millennial now. Uh, so, so I really, you know, if anybody young is in the... I mean, there's nobody young in the audience here, but anybody young... Listening, <laughs> oh, from somebody. <laughs> There's clear. no young people listening. No, no. You're, you're well, young. You, you, you seem relatively young. Yeah, yeah. yeah, how do you? Did you have sex in the last century? 28. No. 20. That's young. Well, well I, I doubt she would have had sex in the last century. I mean, I don't want to ask because if she has, <laughs> be a very different podcast. <laughs> be even, even less laughs than I'm already getting. <laughs> but maybe we could divert it. Um, <laughs> But, but yeah, it's, 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 it's been quite strange now. My daughter's always like, what are you? Like, what even are you? I, go, I don't even know what that means. She's like, well, you know, are you, are you subbed on by Leather Ace? I'm like, I, I don't know. We weren't like, in the 90s, we were just somebody in a room waiting for sex. That was it. Whether you, whether you were gay or straight, like your sexual, your sexual uh, identity was just up for it or not up for it. That was it. And, and now they have this little sort of, in your Insta bio, you can say all your sexual proclivities yes. and get it delivered to you. Yeah, it must be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas we just all bundled in whatever we could get. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It was, you know, but I, that's what I think. Of them. I would have loved something like, uh, like even a bit like Tinder in the in the nineteen nineties, because I just, you know, just a, a friend Tinder. I would really all I would have liked. <laughs> yeah, I know. That you could just say, "I'm not doing anything tonight. Do you want to go for a drink? Yeah. Don't tell anyone about this. Just be my friend. Yeah. Please be my friend." Um, but we and in the show you talk, which we talked about a bit about last week. I talked about Katy Perry, but you talk about uh, music and how and, and how it affects your oversexualized pop star. Yeah, which is it is a sort of it's a weird thing. It's, do you think it's just that we're we're old and when we were young we we didn't we we thought our parents were square for not. It is different though. The, th- I, I don't know, the things you talk about we would never have been in songs when yeah. we were kids. And I find it hilarious as well. A lot of our generation don't keep up. So like I was saying, I like the Confessions films. I'm on some Confessions films and Carry On Films Facebook pages. And every now and then one of them will post, oh, you wouldn't be allowed allowed to have Barbara Windsor. Wouldn't be allowed to have her bra fall off now. And I'm like, there is literally a number one single called Wet Ass Pussy. (laughs) Literally. It's it's, it's quite odd. And and yeah, my, my, my daughter's friends... You know, we're all dancing around going, oh, wet-ass pussy. And my daughter's friends were dancing around at school singing Spit in My Mouth for My Wet-Ass Pussy when they were, like, 14. And, and I don't think it's us being prudish. I think it wasn't quite that direct. Because I do look back that there were sexual songs when we were kids. And, like, Prince was around when I was a kid. And Prince was happy to play for adults. Like, he was happy to do all that wriggling around and rude stuff for adults. He didn't feel the need to have a child demographic as well. Yeah. Whereas, like you say, with Katy Perry, like in the video for Birthday, she's literally a children's entertainer and a stripper writhing around an old man's lap in the same video. Well, it's interesting. And also it's interesting in the show you talk about the difference... Well, like pornography in the in the 90s. I mean, people, the, the way things have changed with pornography is just so it's, astonishing. And you can't... You know, even I'd sort of forgotten that that, that, that it was... Young people can't get their heads around no, it. I, I can't quite I, get my head around I it. I even mentioned one, especially, I don't know if it was different for a man, but, like, I would probably see a porn film maybe once a year. Yeah. And people like, like, so we found a 28-year-old. In the, uh, in the 90s, like, so when I was in my early 20s, how do you think I would have seen a porn film? Uh, a magazine? Um, a film. So and they always say a magazine, like people say in a bush and stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, there was one, one woman once, I, I said, you know, how do you think? And she said, well, surely they didn't have porn films until the internet. And you go, honestly, <laughs> like, you know, 18, 1895, I think they invented a film camera and shoved it up someone's skirt. <laughs> They've always been around. But it, but it is, you know, do, do you have any concept of even how we would have gotten hold of a film? No, like no, it's not. It's, it's baffling, and 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 the other. I know thing... you know, David. You were there, getting it. You know, no one's uh, no one's asking you how you got it. No, we don't want to buy a VHS tape. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah. No, what... you'd rent a tape from the from the news agent. We'd have some porn. He'd have ET and uh, some porn. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't even proper. 
for porn. Because <laughs> no. it was illegal. Penetrative porn was illegal back then. So it would be like just people rubbing each other and going, ooh. Like even now, if you watch Babe Station now and then, because they're not allowed to flash their doodars. Like this is, the, you know, so, so there's Labia on the Brits, but not on Babe Station. It's a really weird world. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, this has been the first time I've been interviewed about vanilla where I've been able to say the words wet-ass pussy, yeah. which my, friend said, my, my daughter's 13-year-old friends were saying at school. But yeah. adult radio shows, I can't say it. So, yeah, on Babe Station, when they have to rub themselves, they, they rub their bellies to pretend they're masturbating because they're not allowed to rub their, their doodars. Right. Um, so, yeah, that was how it was. And so what, what tended to happen was, was you'd go to a party and uh, part of the invite to the party would be Graham is bringing his porn. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Gra- <laughs> There's an audience full of Grahams, basically. Gra- Gra- the thing is, though, Graham wasn't anybody's friend. He was just somebody that someone knew who'd been to Germany. <laughs> uh, like, and so he'd be in a room with the porn, and you'd go in the room to look at the porn. And then young people quite often say, oh, and so did you all start having group sex? And, no, no, you went in the room and laughed at the porn, and then you left. And the only person staying in there was Graham, kind of minding his porn. <laughs> Like you'd hired a bouncy castle or something. It was, it's a different world now. Now, you know, kids watch it on their phone on the way to school. Yeah. I can't, you know, I've got aphantasia and I can't pitch, I can't, which means I can't form mental <laughs> I images in my head. you were talking about a porn video. No, then. it's when it's, it's but <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't, I don't have any mental images, right? So I don't understand how I used to masturbate. Oh. Uh, but maybe I used to be able to form mental images. I mean, I can sort of, I've got an idea, you know, I can have an idea, mm. but I, I can't see anything. So it's really good there's pornography now. Yeah, no. But I just, I did masturbate a lot. Uh, I just don't, I, I can't, maybe I just, maybe I masturbated so much that I broke my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was like, maybe. I, I didn't realise until lockdown that I couldn't see mental images and it was only someone pointing out that that was possible. That I, I thought, ah, it's not me. And then I realised I can't, okay. can't, I can't see anything in my brain. I have a bit too much narrative when I wank. Yeah. And sometimes I actually have to stop if the conversation with the other person's got awkward. So I to, <laughs> actually like, all right, let's, let's wipe the hand off and have a discussion about the last time you took me to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, people should watch me. It's, um, I mean, there, there is, a, there, I don't want to wreck the show and, and talk about it too much, but there, it does, it does go on to talk about me too. And, yeah. and you confronting, I mean, it's an interesting story because you yourself say it's sort of an in-between story in a way that it's quite hard to categorize, right. Yes. As, you know, as a, whether it's it, what's a, gone on. In a very it, early incarnation of the show, I did uh, entertain, <laughs> vaguely, getting the audience to vote on whether they considered that I had been raped or not. And then I thought that might get the wrong kind of publicity. <laughs> um, because, yeah, there, there is... Sorry, maybe I should have praised <laughs> that a bit more with what happened. There is a sexual assault in, in, the, in the show, which is one of those awkward, in-betweeny, like... Whose fault was it? Did this happen? Did that happen? Does it count? Does it not count? At which point did it count? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yeah, and, and that was why it was in the show, because I, I felt a lot of Me Too, a lot of the narrative around Me Too was just too linear. It was just, yeah. these people bad, these people good. We carry on now. And it's, it's not that easy. No, it, it's, it's interesting for that. And, I, you know, and I'm sure there'll be people who argue that, you know, well, it wasn't that bad, but... It was that bad, so you know it's. You know, I, think, I think it's interesting to talk about, it and you you make the. I don't know. I don't want to wreck the whole show. I know it's you, awkward because I, I mentioned a bit, then forgetting that this audience didn't know the show, and then they were suddenly like, <gasps> like because I'm really used to talking about it. Now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, but it's. But I think it's great that people are talking about, it, and the show's a funny show, and and even mm. even around this subject, you're still finding the the funny in it, and it's serious for a bit, and then it's still. It's still funny, but it's. But I think those conversations need to be had. I think it's interesting that you you kind of talked to your, you confronted him and and had a conversation about it with him. I think well, that that was pretty much why it went in the show. Yeah, because at the time that that wasn't even being discussed in Me Too. Me Too was either you keep it a secret or you throw it out to the general public. And I felt that throwing things out to the general public didn't feel safe. And not many of the women that were throwing things out to the to the general public seemed to have found a place of peace. 
And also, it happened so long ago. It was, it was 20, I can't remember now, because I, I lie about how long it was in the show. Uh, I, I lie because I don't want anybody being eager to kind of work out who it was. Because to me, that's one of the things I hate as well. It's like, oh, well, here's this person. We'll remove this person from the industry, and then we can all still share flats in Edinburgh and be in drunken car rides and, 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 and have all these issues, and they won't matter anymore. Um, so I was very keen not for there to be anything identifiable in it, and I forgot what I was talking about now. Uh, yeah, that it was a long time ago, and it felt really weird just blapping out this name without finding out if he was the same person. Mm. And I had a lot of clues as well because he had been an alcoholic and he was no longer an alcoholic and I had a lot of clues that he probably wasn't the same person. And I didn't want to throw someone to the wolves who had actually done everything they could to fix their lives. Yeah. And what, but most of all, I mean, I was very careful all the way through doing the show not to use the word forgiveness and then next up only film it once yeah and it was the one time i used the word forgiveness but it was more about me i wanted to be able to carry on with my life not being frightened of this person anymore it was about my own empowerment which yes might seem a bit selfish but um i think there was a lot of narrative around me too that we had to give out names because we had to warn other women and one of the things i made sure of in the conversation I tried to make sure that there hadn't been other victims, but also how much responsibility does the victim take on? Like, like I, had the, I apparently had the responsibility of getting him to stop, which I didn't manage to do. And then you've got the responsibility afterwards of then trying to find all the other victims and round them up. And at what point does he have responsibility? Hmm. And I was very keen for him to take that responsibility and, and to look me in the eye and to have that conversation. Yeah, well, it's it's you know it's it's well worth watching, and it's on uh, next up. Um, so go and watch it, and I think that it will all it'll all make sense. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, but it's but it, you know I think it it's I, I think ease it's, into it much more gently than I did with you is. guys. But it's but it's great that you know I think like do because obviously you do a lot of sets in clubs, and you're fantastic. Mm-hmm. You're a brilliant, brilliant club comedian. Thank you. And, you know, and it's and it's a difficult thing to do. You're very good off. You know, you're very good with an audience. You're very good with material. Uh, and you know it's those years of doing it that that make that. But it's doing a doing an hour show is a different thing. And I know you've done a couple of hour shows, but it's but it's it's interesting to to take a show like that into a more serious place. Uh, obviously, you did it with the other show as well. If you're talking about the, the yeah. Holocaust, the Holocaust as well. So it's um... somebody once said to me, Merrill O'Rourke sorts shit out, and uh, <laughs> that seems to be my, my USP. If you want me to try and sort out the Holocaust and sexual assault <laughs> in an hour, done, dusted. But I think, but I think again, just by talking about those things, it's you know, with the Holocaust is educational. That, you know, well, that's... The, the, my my, my favourite review I've ever had, the Jewish Chronicle, uh, uh, my show Bad Mother said, there's long been a debate on whether you can make fun of the Holocaust, and Merrill O'Rourke has crashed through it with this show, and <laughs> and unfortunately he didn't put it in a quotable way that was just Merrill O'Rourke is the funniest person talking about the Holocaust, <laughs> but but to have the Jewish Chronicle of all people say. Yes, we're okay with this show. Yeah, she deals with it well. It was a huge badge of honour. And you, 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 so you're half Irish and half Jewish. Yes, half Irish Catholic, half German Jewish. Every time I see Liam Neeson in a film, he's leading my people to freedom. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Is that because yeah. we talked uh, about uh, nuns in the in the backstage uh, interview? Was it was was did 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 your Childhood lean one one way more uh, than the other. I was raised it? Jewish because basically, well, like my my dad was Catholic and he divorced his first wife because she was having she was pregnant with another man's child. But despite that, his dad still said, "Right, you're dead now." Um, and the whole family were told that he died when actually he just married my mum, okay. which is a bit a bit of a diss, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I was raised Jewish yeah. because because Catholicism was dead to him. Um, yeah, but I do have, I mean, it's, it's a shame because I've heard some really exciting things about my Irish granny because she was one of the, um, she was at the Easter Rising. Like, she used to carry a pistol. She used to hang out with Michael Collins and Eamon de Valera. And, and I don't know more than that. And it would be lovely to, to know all my granny anecdotes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but, but none of the Irish family is speaking, well, most of them are dead now, I think. Like, really dead, not just, not just marrying a Jew. <laughs> so I'm dead. <laughs> It's in, out of, the, of all the religions to get together. I mean, there is they're, they're two of the most sort of yeah. So they're very serious about their religion. It's both pretty those much religions. all guilt and potatoes. <laughs> either way, you fry the potato, you boil the potato, you're still going to hell. 
Yeah, well, that, that was actually what they'd had in... Co- they used to say, yeah. you know, the fact that my mum had escaped from the Holocaust and my dad was beaten almost every day. The thing that they had in common was that their religions absolutely terrified them. And it's one of the reasons I'm an only child was they were like, the world is shit, let's never have children. And then my mum got drunk in a tent one day <laughs> and out I came. So, uh, yeah, it's nice to know that you weren't wanted at all. <laughs> no, ch- no child's wanted... No, no, that's not true. Um, no Charles wanted it once you got him. <laughs> you realise the, ter- the terrible nightmare. Oh, no. I'm, 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 my kids are all right. You know, now. Most of the time. It's not too, it's not too bad. Let's, ask, let's do some emergency questions. Okay. That, and let's try and make them not about rape or religion. What religion would you most like to be raped? Oh, no. <laughs> it's my speciality. <laughs> My husband's um, a Muslim as well, so we got the whole, the whole selection true, yes, box that is, at home. That's good. That's, that is good. I hadn't thought of that. That is good. Um, all right. If your genitals had to be replaced by the face of one of the Muppets... Oh, my God. ..the face would be able to interact and communicate in exactly the same way as the puppet. Which Muppet face would replace your genitals? Well, the thing is, Gonzo would be useful. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, like, you know, you could use Gonzo. He's basically a strap-on. Yeah. He's a strap-on with a hand up him. Yeah. So I, I could have Gonzo and still be sexually active. Yeah. So that, that would probably be it. That's a good... That's and a good, I, yeah, I would discover... It wouldn't be much to fun to talk to, though. I'd, would it, it would put you off when you... He's, a, he's a slightly annoying. But, yeah, I think you're well, right. Well, my, my vagina's slightly annoying as well. Okay. So... We get some, you get some good information. We're not going to tell them what it is. Let's, <laughs> let's leave some surprises. There's some good information about uh, Meryl's. Genitalia. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I accidentally elbowed Denise Van Outen in the face on Channel 5 Celebrity Game Night. Yes, my career is going well. What is the worst injury you've directly or indirectly caused to a celebrity or person of renown? Oh, um, oh, blimey. I, I ran over Nick Berry and Leslie Grantham's feet. That's pretty in, good. Yeah, I, I did extra work on EastEnders as a kid. And, and they, they wanted a teenage, they wanted someone who could ride a bike. And I couldn't ride a bike. And my mum was like, it's EastEnders, say so you can ride a bike. <laughs> and so I was on this bike, but, but I actually couldn't ride a bike. So, so they were in the middle of a take, and I ran over Nick Berry and Leslie Grantham and was sacked. Wow. You were sacked for I that? I was sacked. That's, that's cruel. Well, it's, I think it's an insurance problem yeah. when, when, I, when, when a teenager I mean, who, who can't ride a bike is careering into your leads. Not as bad as what Leslie Grantham did, though, is it? Yeah. <laughs> We didn't he know about sad, that then. <laughs> we didn't know about that then. I could have you know, snagged his cock on my on my bike bell and saved everybody. I mean, he did a lot. He did a lot of bad things. Um, the, the, you might have an answer to this, having toured for a lot of time. What's the worst experience you've ever had in a hotel? Oh, well, <laughs> the one that springs to mind because I've got my mask on. So I still like wearing masks. Um, I like, I kind of like the privacy. And yeah. the thing is, this is the mask I wear at shows because it's glamorous, it's gold. Um, but I usually have lipstick on. Um, and so what happens to the mask is it ends up looking like that inside. It's, it's, it's basically white inside with a great big red patch in the middle. Yeah. And so I was staying overnight at a bed and breakfast and I just chucked it on the bed. Um, and, and I was, when I came back from my gig, the reception sort of took me aside, said, can we speak to you? And they were, we couldn't clean your room because you left a sanitary towel on the bed. <laughs> and, and the cleaner was very upset. And yeah, it was just my mask with lots of lipstick on. Well, so, yeah. So there we go. Yeah, I, we, we went to, we did an Airbnb in, in uh, Norfolk somewhere. And uh, my son had a nosebleed. And then the Airbnb, like quite a bad one on the, on the sheet and stuff. We thought, we'd, we'd had them at home and we thought they'd better clean it. And they got in touch to say they were going to charge us for a new sheet and a new... And I think they thought, like, a murder had happened or something. They were trying <laughs> to find out what it was. And then I said, oh, it's just a nosebleed. I think it'll come... I think they, maybe they thought it was, like, a period or something like that as well. Because yeah, they, they, they were saying, we're going to charge you for all of this. They said, well, you can if you want, but have you tried washing it? Because yeah. it's just blood. I, and- I, went, I went to a hotel recently. Well, I, I barely call it a hotel. And they'd had so many bad experiences with their towel that you could only use the towel for 10 minutes. <laughs> so what had to happen is, is, is when you wanted to shower, you had to find the woman who ran. It wasn't even a bit of somebody's house yeah. that they'd just put rooms. You had to find her and say, I want to shower now. And she would give you the towel. And then after the shower, you, were, you weren't allowed to keep it. So she came knocking on the door and I was getting texts going, you've had the, sh- you've had the towel for 11 minutes. Please, could you give it back? 
feel like someone was, else has said this, but maybe I've heard you say this, but I don't think I've ever heard you say this, but then someone else must have said I was that tweeting time. about it. Were you? Okay. I was tweeting was... about it a lot, like I do with every single thing I ever do, because <laughs> I'm a very lonely person who no, only exists amazing. on Twitter. I feel like someone else has been at that hotel as well. I feel I've heard that, but maybe, maybe more hotels are... You, know, you yeah. must get through a lot of towels if you're running a hotel. That's part yeah, of but the, that's part of the that's job, love. That's what I said to her. Yeah. It's part of your job. You don't want to run a hotel. You can't have like a ta- you can't have a towel on a case by case. Basis. I know, and they'd lowered the pressure in the tap so that when you turned the tap on, it barely came out. And yeah. they said that's because it was making the floor wet. <laughs> and I was going, but that's just the nature of water. You, you like you don't want to be running a hotel if you can't deal with the natural process of what happens to water. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, don't run a hotel. That's the answer. <laughs> right, we'll go on one more. Would you rather have a tit that dispenses talcum powder or a finger that can travel through time? I haven't asked that one for a while. <laughs> Free talcum powder as much as you want for life. You're up for personal use. Or uh, a, t- a, t- a finger that can travel through time and you can do, you can do things uh, forwards or backwards. The, the the tit seems more obvious because the finger thing doesn't seem like it can't see, can it? It's just my you can, finger. I think you. I think you can just peek through the hole. You can say where it's got to go. It's still attached to your fat hand, but only the finger will travel in time. And you can look through the hole and see what's going to do. So you can have some elements. You go. I'm going to go back and flick a switch, basically, or no, to well, poke someone in the bum. Or yeah, well, that's when I mainly think about going back in time. It's usually to have sex with hot people okay. that are dead now, or like you know Stuart Lee, and yeah. um, <laughs> I, essentially, I mean, as a sexual being. But with with, with yeah, like back when yeah. I was in my twenties. Yeah. But I mean, for um, him when he was you know, sexy. But before you were my friend and not him. Yeah. Okay. Um, and like, if it's just the finger, then I just have to like sort of. I don't really want to. Okay. Finger those men. If you could, um, if you so could, the tit seems a better idea, yeah. but talcum powder causes cancer. Yeah. So I feel that that I would have quite a cancerous tit. Yes. Which I've done relatively well to avoid so far. Yeah. Um, I think if, I think a finger traveling through time would probably cause cancer. Can I have as a t- well. can I have <laughs> a tit that pretty... travels through time? Yeah, have a tit. Because then I could throw the tit at Gene Kelly, and it would be like there would be some vague sexual pleasure in that for okay. me. It would be Gene Kelly that would get the tit. Gene, Gene Kelly's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah, it was. It was quite an interesting choice. If you could go th- through history and have sex with anyone from history, who would it? Who would it be? Would it be Gene Kelly? Or, uh, or in maybe, their prime, you know, Stuart Lee from the early nineties. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'd um, I Gene Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Or was it Gene Kelly? I'm trying to think of a way to make this entertaining, but now I'm just no. Hot it doesn't for Gene have to. I was just interesting. But he's hot. Like, it would be interesting with somebody interesting. But, you but could Gene go back is very to, linearly hot. He could have sex with Tutankhamun. No, because he's all... They used to, they used to like, have leeches and they shaved yeah, their whole exactly. bodies. And I yeah. yeah, no, I don't like slippery men. could have sex with... Um, i trying to think who I'd have sex who with. Who do you want to pimp me out to? Well... Historically. There must be some good choices out there to have sex with. King Henry VIII, he'd be good to have sex with, wouldn't he? Well, syphilitic and mental. Yeah, <laughs> You got the we got the cure for syphilis now. But you come back with a bit of syphilis. <laughs> no, he wasn't. He wasn't even hot. No, he wasn't. Well, he was when he was young. And he played by that guy. Oh, uh, that younger. I... What's his name? That guy who played King Henry the Just... was sexy. Oh, the guy that with the three names. Yeah, uh, I can't remember. That's yeah, Reese Myers. Yeah, Jonathan Reese Myers. I don't find him. So you're thinking of who you find attractive. These are not people who I find attractive. Well, you know, with you... me, it's pretty much just Gene Kelly. Okay, and. Yeah, I can't think of anybody else. That's fine. Gene Kelly's a fine answer. Um, if you could go... If all the museums and art galleries in the world got together and said, Meryl, we love you, you can have one thing from all of our museums or art galleries and keep it, what would you choose to possess? From, from any, it can be a painting, it can be an artefact, anything. My, fa- my favourite thing in, in any art gallery is um, the Nidon Aphrodite, yes. who is in the Louvre. And she's right opposite the Venus de Milo. So everybody goes to look at the Venus de Milo or Milo or whatever it is. But um, I mean, it doesn't even because it's, 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 it's a Greek statue, but we call it by the Roman names. It's a Roman, like it's shit. It's, it's literally a Roman copy of some Greek statue. And it's become really famous for no reason, just because everybody keeps being told it's beautiful. Because the arms came off. Yeah, which I think is a bit sinister. Yeah. I think that's why people like it, because she yeah. can't defend herself. Yeah. But it's also, 
it's one of those things that we've been told it's beautiful, so we believe it, a bit like Daniel Craig. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> I remember our friends in the north, Daniel Craig was playing somebody ugly, and now apparently Daniel Craig is hot. He's the, it's the same face. Yeah. It's just publicity. But the Nidon Aphrodite... <laughs> She, she's actually the Aphrodite from Nidos, and she was said that if you were a very devoted follower, she would come alive and have sex with you at midnight. Right. Um, and she has no head or arms or legs anymore. But, but it's actually... And you can get so close, like you could breathe, you can breathe the marble in. So I would like to have her at home and sort of cherish her. And I was saying this to my daughter, like I wish I could give her the attention she, she deserves. But she's saying, well, she's not going to get that in an ex-council house in Streatham Hill. Um, but so maybe I would put her on display but I live near the South Circular which is very congested so she'd get a lot of footfall that way yeah okay Um, that's good thinking she's got huge mons pubis which they found very sexy back then really it's huge it looks like a football helmet it's a mountain isn't it Hmm? it's a mountain it's a pubic mountain so it should be big okay um what have you got coming up in the future? I Well, the next up show is remaining streaming, so I'm mainly directing people to watching Vanilla on mm-hmm. that, and the more people that watch it, I, I get some money. But actually, it's a bit... Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. No, this isn't a podcast about milk. If you like historical intrigue, a bit of culture, and a sprinkling of controversy, this one's for you. I'm Rachel Stewart, and I'm travelling around Europe following the hidden history of everyday things as they're exported through time and around the world by force, by chance, or by choice. No need to pack your bags. Just subscribe to Don't Drink the Milk wherever you listen to podcasts. Of a, a journey of adventure at the moment. I've just been taken on by a new agent. And I've, I mean, one of the things about my career is, is in 20-odd years, I have had, this is my fourth agent, but that I've had agents for one year like one of them really tried but the other two just took me on and then never spoke to me again and this agent is actually getting me work so I don't know what's happening and that's actually really exciting and it's it's it's, it almost feels a bit like an illness because after this long like part of me is like like why haven't I given up but there's always a new beginning so yeah we're we're just seeing what happens yeah oh and I'm writing a play I'm, I'm writing a play with young Vic uh, but that's because we don't know when it'll be staged. But I'm writing a play about the Holocaust, surprise, surprise. Cool. Um, about, about my mum being in an internment camp when she came over, which will have uh, bits about Carmen Miranda and suicide. So there we go. Okay. It's, it's my usual USP. <laughs> bit of nonsense, <laughs> bit of dark shit. It is. Well, it's a, fa- you know, it's a fascinating show, Vanilla, so do watch that. And, you know, I think I feel this... this in the next 20 years, I think it's going to happen for you. <laughs> I think mean, you just can stick it out. I think the older you get, the more, the better it's going to get. My material is mainly about wanking. Yeah, that's I don't, fine. Like, in the 70s, 70, audiences will just have to, like, vomit. An 80-year-old woman. It's like McCartney at Glastonbury. An 80-year-old woman yeah. talking about wanking. Yeah, I'm sure 80-year-olds still wank. It'll have come round, and by that time, took with, with cum all over your tits as an 80-year-old. That yeah. will, people will be, things will be so... There's a 92-year-old right. porn star right. who I've watched, and she just looks really bored. Like, people go, oh, it must be upsetting. It's not upsetting. She just looks really fucking bored with it all. <laughs> it's like, do I have to keep sucking this cock? It's really like, <laughs> oh, she just sighs. Oh, God. Like, another day at the office. So, yeah, maybe that'll be me. We learned so many different things from you, Beryl. That's what I... That's what I it's such a smorgasbord. That's you never know where it's going to go. Um... Ladies and gentlemen, please give a massive round of applause. It's Marilyn O'Rourke. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Rahulastapur with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Meryl O'Rourke. Thank you to Scam Regard. Great music, guys. Keep it up. I love what you're doing. Thank you also. I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker, to George the Incompetent Sandman, and Chris Evans, not that one for all the work he does behind the scenes. Thank you to everyone at the Phoenix for everything you've done for us. And this is a Sky Potato Fuzz and Go Faster Stripe.com production. Thank you very much for listening to my podcasts. Listen to some more. Tell your friends about these podcasts. We're in a very competitive market and it would be lovely to keep those downloads coming in. 
The more downloads we get, the more money we make and the more podcasts we can make for you. It's a beautiful symbiotic relationship. Come and see me on tour at richardherring.com. But otherwise, just, you know, go outside. Enjoy the spring air. It's beautiful out there. I love you all. Goodbye.